Welcome to the Digital Marketing Podcast, brought to you by TargetInternet.com. Hello and welcome back to the Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Kieran Rogers. And I'm Daniel Rolls. And today, Daniel, we have a trends update for our audience. Yeah, so we're going to try and talk about some of the tactical changes that people may or may not be aware of, and then just talk about some of the strategic changes that seem to be going on in digital at the moment, just to give you a bit of a, a regular update. So first up, Daniel, we need to share our thoughts on the new Snapchat location. What is it, and and why should we why should we be interested in it? I think this is more of a controversial one than a necessarily grabbing the tactic. But basically, what you can see in Snapchat now is the location of other Snapchatters that you are connected to, where they're leaving snaps or leaving images, but actually where they are at the moment. Now, from a privacy point of view, this is an absolute shocker because (laughs) you kind of opt in or opt out of it. And anyone you're connected to then goes onto a map and can see where you are any given time. So um, many of you know I have a, a teenage daughter and... Um, she showed me hers and it was hilarious because what you could basically see is the amount of snaps that are being done at school. There's huge, I mean, a you know, really dense population of people at school on Snapchat. But also, I mean, she was quite smart, immediately switched it off for her because what you're basically doing is going through, leaving out of images of what you're doing, but actually people can now see where you are. Now, obviously with Snapchat, you have to follow someone and you have to kind of allow them to do that. But the reality is that lots of people are connected to lots of people that don't have a clue who they are in reality, really. And this takes us back a long way, where suddenly geo-sharing was seen as very controversial with Facebook early in the beginning, and they, they locked it down a lot more. But this is very much, I can see someone's pictures, I can see where they are in the world, and there's all sorts of security issues around that, especially if you're, a, you know, if you're a, a teenager or whatever it may be. So just to make people aware of it, Snapchat are constantly adding new features, and they don't really document them a great deal, and they just kind of arrive. And it's been it's been used quite widely, but just be aware that that's there. So um, maybe it's one just to keep an eye on. It's quite interesting looking at where your connections are in the world, uh, but I'd be a little bit cautious about it as well from a kind of sharing privacy point of view as well. Now, the other thing that you might not be aware of if you're not an active Snapchat user is Snapchat streaks. And basically a streak is if I send you an image, you send me an image, and we keep doing that, the streak keeps going as many days that we've sent an image to each other. So we have to each day send each other an image. And it's gamification in quite a clever way because once you put up a 30-day streak, you think, well, I don't want to lose this because it will go back to zero. Uh, And then you do it the next day and next day. So they're, they're gamifying the platform to keep you using it. So you go in and do things on a regular basis. So it's got nothing to do with invading a football pitch? No, there's no nudity whilst at cricket or anything like that, I'm afraid, Kieran. Um, So the the reality is that, again, thinking about gamification, we've spoken about it before, we've got some great examples on the website um, about gamification, but how can you encourage people to come back and do something on a regular basis? And Snapchat have kind of cracked it. What I'd say is this is very anecdotal evidence, though. We've seen a lot of people moving from Snapchat back to Instagram. And as I say, I haven't got many numbers to back this up at the moment. Uh, There was also talk with Snapchat of the 35 to 45-year-old group growing a lot. The evidence I would see would say that they're not using it that actively. They're they're connecting to their kids or they're trying to work out how it works. They might have one or two friends that use it, but it's not their kind of go-to platform still at the moment. But bear in mind, if you said you would be using Instagram for B2B advertising to me two years ago, I'd have laughed you out of the room. And now that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So you just have to keep an eye on these things as well. So, So be careful. Now, the reason people may be moving back to Instagram a little bit as well in some cases is stories and stories being everywhere. 
And what I mean is that stories is that opportunity where you can go in and over a 24-hour period, you can add to your story pictures and videos. Now, originally you could do this in Snapchat and then Instagram copied and you could do it in Instagram, but now you can do it in Facebook. So if you haven't noticed, you have Facebook stories, you can go in. The, again, anecdotal evidence I've seen, there hasn't been huge uptake within Facebook yet. Uh, that may grow, we'll see how that kind of changes. But the idea is that, you know, if you're posting something to Instagram or maybe to Facebook, it's, Facebook is probably some sort of life event. You're on holiday or you're going to a wedding or something along those lines. Instagram, you know, a little bit less formal. Maybe you're having some nice food or you're traveling to a particular place. Whereas the stories is very a little bit more informal, a bit more throwaway. Here's me arriving at the event. Here's the event filling up. Here's one of the speakers. And you can build a narrative. So from a company point of view, there's a lot of opportunity with narrative with stories. And actually for Instagram, we found that works really well. But not many people are using it in Facebook, which might say, well, don't do it. But to me, what that says is you've got a bit of a lead advantage if you don't try it out. And you go in there and you try these kind of stories as well. So take a look at stories. You haven't played around them and try them out as a technique. I think that's really fascinating because I'm a great believer that we are intrinsically driven by by stories. But everything we do, everything we think is along kind of storylines. And it makes perfect sense that in a social network you would, you know, integrate that way of communicating into the actual platform because it's it's natural right you know, I'm, I, I love telling telling stories it's, it's one of my great great passions I think that's it and narrative just brings things alive and actually what we can suddenly do is take a subject uh, and make it a little bit more interesting so if I am in Instagram trying to talk about you know digital marketing e-learning it's not really the most exciting thing <laughs> in the world from an Instagram point of view but actually if I can give the the narrative journey of someone improving their career and getting a better job and having a happier life. There's all sorts of things you could do around that that humanise the whole thing as well. And actually, you know, I'm at the event. Well, that's all very well and good. But actually, here's behind the scenes. Here's the green room of the speakers. Here's a, a quick 10-second clip interviewing one of the speakers. Suddenly, that's a lot more interesting. So it just gives us more creative opportunities to bring to life some of the topics that we want to talk about as well. So there have been some really interesting changes in Google Analytics, and we really wanted to cover cover those. Um, certainly some big interface um, changes, and they really seem to have upped the ante on the intelligent insights. So Daniel, tell us a bit more about that. So this is the bane of our life a little bit, because we do these um, digital marketing, e-learning, the interactive training stuff that we do. Um, we have a lot of screenshots and videos in there, and every time Twitter or Facebook or particularly Google Analytics changed something, we have to re-record our videos and take new screenshots. So I'm really pleased about this, but I also hate it quite a lot as well. <laughs> um, so essentially what they've done is when you go into Google Analytics, it used to be you would land on your audience report that basically tell you some high-level stuff about how many visits you got, so the sessions, visit duration, all those kind of things. There's now a homepage. And the homepage is trying to use some slightly cleverer data visualizations, different types of charting and things like that, to give you some insights into actually what's going on with your audience a bit more. So basically, it's a new screen, new page within Google Analytics with some nice little reports in there. And there's a nice one, for example, at like the average time of day that people are accessing your content. And you can see it by day of week at the same time, and it's kind of um, heat mapped to some extent. So I think it's great. I think it's a really nice interface change. And I, I expect when they start doing this, you'll see more of this stuff as well. They seem to go through a round of it at the moment. The intelligence stuff is really interesting. And the intelligence is trying to use more natural language and basically allowing you to ask questions. So you can go in and type in, which day of the week do I get most visits? What's the optimum time of day for posting content? And things like that. And they're starting to understand those questions and giving you the results for those as well. Google has a huge focus on machine learning at the moment 
So they've done a few events recently talking about how they're going to change pay-per-click, how they're going to change their advertising platforms. And it's all about intelligence and machine learning. So the idea is that you don't need to go and change every setting under the sun. You can go and say, I want to optimize for this. And they'll do all the work behind the scenes for you and just either get you more traffic or get you more conversions or whatever it is that your your objective is. And, and very interesting. About a year ago now, uh, so kind of last, last summer of 2016, I got the opportunity to um, speak uh, with uh, the MD of, of Google. And one of the questions I asked him was, you know, what, what's making your engineers really excited at the moment? And one of the answers he gave back then was artificial intelligence. Uh, and it's very clear they've been working on this because you're starting to see some of that work, I believe, coming through into to all of their their products. If you haven't seen it already in, in within Google uh, Docs, if you go into uh, spreadsheets, uh, again, they've got this insights uh, area. And, and there it's in, uh, currently at the bottom right-hand hand corner where you can literally ask it a question of your data and it will draw you up a graph to, to illustrate that. And I, I think you're going to see this roll out as definite, definite trend. You know, artificial intelligence uh, in terms of making the the data and taming big data and making it much more understandable it is definitely a trend that, that we're seeing on, on the up at the moment. I mean, basically, it's what Google do. I mean, if you look at what they've done for a long time is big data, passing that big data to try and get insights out. And that was, you know, we look at the beginning of SEO, quite basic sets of rules. You know, did you have the keyword in the right place and so on as well? But actually what's happening is they're, finding ways of improving that that big data analysis a lot of the big data technologies were created by google because they were dealing with volumes of data never seen before to the extent you know trying to go through every website in the world to give you a quick answer so actually what's going to become complicated is that the artificial intelligence means that it will learn over a period of time so actually understanding the google algorithm will become completely impossible because essentially it will be changing constantly because it will constantly be learning, which is actually a good thing because it means you can get back to fundamentals. Is What is it trying to do? It's trying to give you relevant results. So if you look at something and go, well, we're going to try and fill all this to the top. It's not that relevant. It's not going to work. So actually just focusing more on content quality is con- going to continue to be the, the real optimum thing to do for SEO. There are going to be some winners and losers with this uh, as well. So uh, I mean, this is something I found working within an agency is that you, you very often you will come across some clients who just won't listen to what you're saying and they won't, or they won't listen to what the data is saying because they have their set way of, of, of doing things. And, and if that's you, you're really going to suffer in an you know, in, in intelligent insight as well because it's not necessarily going to tie up with your, your view of things. You, know, you, you do have to work with these technologies. You can't fly in, in the face of them. So in, the, in, in terms of, for instance, Google personalization, if, if Google's finding your customers are, are particularly interested in a certain thing and, and, and pushing that and, and you're not following that, you're not taking an interest in that, you're going to be at odds with the algorithm. And, and in my opinion, you're just going to lose you know, you have to go with what the the, the crowd are, are are most interested in. Certainly, at the moment, that personalization thing is still very much a, a very broad church. Uh, so you have to be aware of those things, as you always have done in 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 marketing. Um, but I, I do think it's important to note that as more and more artificial intelligence is put out there uh, within various different platforms, you are going to need to listen and learn how to listen to that data in order to make the right decision. Just to point something out as well, the difference between chatbots and artificial intelligence, because I was talking about this the other day and there was a bit of confusion. Most chatbots are not artificial intelligence at the moment. <laughs> They're scripting which basically says, if you do this, then reply this, then do this, if you do this. And they're, they're very clever scripts, but they are just rules of kind of decision trees. 
Whereas the idea of an artificial intelligence is it will learn and it will learn from the data over a period of time. If you're interested in this a bit more, there is a great study where if you show a load of pictures to a computer and say which ones are cats, for example, it's actually a really difficult thing to do because a cat and a dog to you and I might look quite different, but actually they've got four legs generally at the corners, they've got a tail sticking out the back and they've got whiskers and a nose kind of thing. So actually differentiating cats and dogs and other creatures is quite difficult. The work that Google have been doing, showing images to these artificial intelligence and identifying them, they've hit a level of accuracy that's never before been achieved. That might not sound like a lot, but actually image processing is one of the really important things, the task you can do with artificial intelligence. So as a marketer, if you're thinking, oh, I've got no interest in artificial intelligence, you need to read about it and learn mm. a bit more about it because it's going to become an increasingly big part of your career and you're going to come up against it all the time. And I, I really believe those organizations that create artificial intelligence-based websites and apps and content and are feeding back in these feedback loops will actually be a great advantage just because there's so much noise, there's an increasing level of noise, it allows you to cut through by getting the right stuff to the right people in the right way, but in a very, very smart way. So we should also talk about uh, another trend that we've seen, Daniel, which is the, the adoption of faster mobile website mm. technologies. And th this is one... I mean, if you've ever attended any of the major marketing events, there's always experts banging on about you know the importance of mobile-first strategy and and what have you. But I, I think you know we were chatting about this this morning, and the ante's really upped uh, of late, and actually we're starting to see a lot more people put put this into practice. Daniel, any kind of thoughts you want to add to this? Yeah, so I think yeah, long time we've said you must do mobile and you must be fast. People on mobile want the stuff faster. They do. But we've said it for a long time. And speed of websites is something that's very easy to say yes, yes, yes to. But the problem is it's complicated to get it working. So uh, take a look at gtmetrics.com. It will analyze your website. So gtmetrics, we'll put it in the show notes. And it analyzes your website and tells you what's slowing things down. Now, that's a very traditional website build kind of analysis. But what Google is saying is that we want things as fast as they can possibly be. And we're going to give you a standard for doing that. So AMP, which is Accelerated Mobile Pages, is a way of creating your pages in a specific format so that Google not only can load them quickly, but it will cache them in some cases as well. So you literally you click on it and it loads up almost instantaneously. It, it seems that Google are really pushing AMP quite hard at the moment. If you're using Search Console, there is a part of Google Search Console that will kind of analyze your pages to work out which ones are AMP ones and not. If you're using WordPress, there are a couple of plugins that will help you essentially turn your pages and create AMP versions as well. What you normally need to do is use the plugin, create the AMP versions, then point Google Search Console at where they are because it won't necessarily find them automatically. Um, you also probably have to change the original version of the page to point at the AMP version as well. So this is a very techy thing, mm. but it's worth setting up because Google are, as far as I can make out, prioritizing pages that are loading quickly to some extent and punishing, very much punishing pages that are loading slowly. So don't look at your website, as we all have done at one point, and go, oh, it's a bit slow. <laughs> and then do nothing about it, which I did for years. Um, WordPress is also hugely susceptible to slow pages because you buy a theme off the, off the shelf, and that theme is built to be very flexible. But by nature of that, it's probably loading up loads of stuff that you don't really need. And actually, it can slow things down. And the more plugins you use, you get kind of plug-in bloat, yeah. where there's more and more code on the page each time. And our website even is suffering from this a little bit at the moment, so we're going for another round of tidying things up. So get your pages loading quickly. The, the key thing that Google have said for a while is the bit of the page that I can see, so 
you know, not when I have to scroll down, but the bit of the page that I see should load up in less than a thousand milliseconds, i.e. one second. So they're saying, you know, we've talked about five second load time and three second load time. They're talking about one second load times. So that's what you need to be aiming for. Because one, lots of people have started doing it. And if you're the people that haven't done it, that's obviously going to have a material impact. There's loads of evidence that says people drop out where they have to wait more than a certain period of time. We've all done it ourselves as well. But it's also something we all seem to ignore for some reason. Uh, just because it's a bit complicated and it's a bit involved. So I think now is the time to really take this seriously. Um, absolutely. I couldn't agree with that that more. I, I think also there's there's some other angles that we could look at, Daniel. So in terms of kind of overall strategy trends, mm. um, I mean, certainly one of the ones that, that we've been seeing is, is channel crossover. Yeah, I mean, I think I've been talking about this probably for five years, and I think it's just become apparent to me how important this is. When you create a piece of content, you, you've got your content, content marketing, you have to optimize it for the search engines. But actually, that content is going to generate links, which is going to potentially affect your SEO. That might be a social media piece of content, like a video. Uh, and actually, your PR, your public relations is generating people linking through and talking about your stuff in the real world and so on as well. So my, my key point here, at the very least, is you cannot separate your content, your search optimization, your social media, and your PR, your public relations type activity. All of that stuff is so deeply linked in with one another now that considering one in isolation is not a great idea. And depending on how you're set up right, within your organisation, this could cause you uh, a, a few problems, uh, to say the least, because very often uh, you know, different departments plan different aspects of the campaign. And actually, in order to get this really working well uh, and kind of everything synced up really, really well, and I like to think of this as a, you know, a really well-orchestrated or, or, uh, orchestra if you like, because actually if your PR team are playing slightly out of sync with your social media team and playing slightly out of sync with your your content marketing team uh, and your email team, then it's going to sound pretty ugly uh, when actually everybody's a really great player, right? They all know how to play their instruments really, really well. So that, that's the kind of analogy that I would use to kind of show you how to, to get your ducks all lined up in a row. You know, you're aiming to orchestrate this really beautifully. And unless you are planning these things together and actually you know sharing information on who's doing what and when and strategically working out the order of things together this is really really hard to get to get right yeah i mean the key thing here is you need some sort of technique for doing it content calendars do the trick um, but you need a content calendar that talks about content search social pr social outreach email and maybe paid campaigns as well so you can line it all up and to see what's going on and are we maximizing the impact of all this kind of stuff as well and this, this as a trend, is only going to become more complicated. We were talking earlier on about artificial intelligence. And actually, as algorithms become more complicated and more complex and clever, the reality is all of these things are going to have impacts on each other. And if you just do them separately, you're never going to realize the full potential of all these different channels. And we've spoken about it before, the idea that if you do some paid search, you do some Facebook advertising, uh, and you do some GDN, some Google Display Network advertising, and you, you kind of do all these things separately, you'll get some results. But if you do them as one, you tend to get more than the sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. And this relates back to the user journey as well, in that user journeys are complicated. We probably don't fully understand them. So therefore, this all kind of fits together. And I think at a very basic level, most organizations, their SEO team will not be speaking to their PR team. Um, it's very rare for that to be happening. And it should be happening all the time. So just making sure you've thought about actually how your organization works together, but also how it's structured. 
So you end up actually changing the structure. And I would always go back and think about agile working methodologies, uh, take a look at some previous episodes for that. But what I'd also say is that, you know, this idea of cross-disciplinary teams, the idea that when you've got a project, rather than going, right, search are doing that project and the PR team's doing that, you have people from different areas of the business working together on a particular project. And that can really help with these kind of problems as well. And it makes you think about the structure of your organisation differently. You have pots of people. You have a pot of SEO people and some PR people and some email people, but they don't just work in those silos. They're put into project teams, and we can align the right people into different projects. And one person could be on three different project teams. That's fine. So just just think about how you structure and don't think about departments. I think departments is actually a really dangerous way of thinking because it, it naturally builds silos. So think about that, that agile methodology a little bit more. And that leads us nicely on to another trend that, that we've seen, which is the, the really important need, therefore, for omnichannel measurement. I think that most measurement techniques, and we spoke about this in a, again in a recent episode, don't really take into account that they give you a dashboard at a high level that allows you to see how a particular technique or channel is working, but whilst also being able to be visible of the other channels. And I always go back to this contribution idea of that I have an end goal that I want you to achieve. I want to see how much this channel is contributing to that end goal. So you use a report like multi-channel funnels from Google Analytics. But also bear in mind that you want to look at what's going on with the other channels at the same time. So if I do more display advertising, it's very likely that I'm going to get some more search traffic. You see my banners, you didn't click on them, but you went through and do a Google search. And I need some sort of dashboard that allows me to do that. So there's lots of ways to do it. You can use an Excel spreadsheet to just bring in your data from different channels. You can use one of the uh, Google suite of tools for actually bringing all that data into one place. And they're doing a lot more work at allowing you to do that at the moment. But just make sure you've got a high level which you can look down and say, well, that went up. That went up as well. I wonder if it's connected. And you can start to explore that a little bit more as well. Which leads us on to the final trend that we wanted to share with you today, which is moving beyond the omni-channel experience. And I, th- I think that just needs qualifying a little yeah. bit more, Daniel, really. So multi-channel, let's just go through it. So multi-channel was the idea that it was really annoying if I went to a website and I could get a special offer, but I couldn't get that in store. So the idea with multi-channel is that it was a kind of unified experience that you got the same prices or maybe you got the same special offers across channels. Omni-channel kind of went beyond that and said, Omni-channel, I can move you between different channels. I can use the different channels kind of slightly differently. Um, the idea that essentially they were working as a bit of a sum. And that just meant you had channels. Now, what we also need to think about is you could use gamification. And we talk about transmedia storytelling. Transmedia and omnichannel mean pretty much the same thing to me. Um, I, I think the reality is is that transmedia says you are moving between channels and there's a narrative that kind of does that. But one of the things I was talking about recently was the idea of experience and experiencing data and that having an impact on you. So let me just try and explain what I mean. There's a great app called Gender EQ. Um, go off and take a look at this. So take the problem what is the problem is that generally speaking in a meeting men speak more than women okay so what you're actually finding is that if men speak a lot this is an issue around sexism is that if men speak a lot they're seen as dominant and they're they're being powerful whereas if women speak a lot they're bossy and there's various other words you know like people do overly strident and all these kind of things as well now if you tell people that we go yeah that's true that's that's a terrible thing we need to change that and then people go into the meetings and act in the same way so this, this great app, what it does is you put it down, uses a bit of artificial intelligence, and it will just monitor your meeting. 
and it will listen to people speaking. And by using artificial intelligence, it can kind of work out what's a male and female voice. Um, and yeah, it struggles sometimes, but most of the time it's very, very good at doing that. And then it will just very much after the meeting say what percentage of the meeting of people there were male versus female versus what percentage of the time they spoke in that meeting. Now, if you show people that data, that really gives people a wake up. And they suddenly go, right, I've seen the data and I'm actually being presented with it immediately. That's not a cross-channel technique or anything else, but it's kind of going beyond. It's, it's using data or utility or functionality to achieve an end marketing objective to some extent as well. So as a trend, it's not an easy one to kind of nail down, but I would just think about the use of data, real-time data, feeding that back into the loop and actually seeing what impact that can have on, on people as well. From a marketing perspective, there's some really exciting opportunity uh, here, and I know certainly sort of read, if you read around some of the predictions for for Christmas this this year, which is, as you know from our previous episode, we we, we spent some time doing that. Uh, there was a lot uh, in there about making retail experiences much more of an experience and much more digitally engaging. There's some fantastic case studies out there of you know innovative brands who've done this really really effectively um, and definitely worth checking those out but actually you know thinking about you know it's not just about getting our our message out there but about sharing our values and and actually giving and creating experiences for the customer that help to share the, those values is just one one example of, of of doing this but i think you know increasingly in a, a culture which is you know set very much served by its technology uh, and and trended by by the data and the overall all trends. There's definitely going to be a move uh, in in the next kind of year to eighteen months for brands to really go beyond just simply selling uh, through through retail channels uh, and making those channels actually engaging and entertaining to 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 be in as a space. You know, we, for years we've enjoyed the retail experience but i think what digital technology and channels does is give you all sorts of opportunities to add a whole new level of experience there uh, be it through you know whatever technology you're, you're using um, a virtual reality or or, or you know in, in, in enhanced visuals uh, within the experience that the, the sky's the limit and it's only really limited by you know your your planning and, and, and creative processes that, that come up with with these ideas now how can you make it more engaging and more fun what I'd say with this as well is to be cautious because I, I speaking at conferences a couple of weeks ago and everyone that came on went, ah, oh, virtual reality, it's all about virtual reality. And everyone's sitting there by the end just rolling their eyes, going, yeah, that's <laughs> lovely, but what am I actually going to do with it in practice? You know, it's just, I'm a B2B, how is it going to work? Now, there is lots of opportunity for maybe in the future that happening. But also thinking about how do you create an experience, because people share experiences. So even in something very kind of dry and B2B related, maybe business to business, there is lots of opportunity for improving the experience and actually just making it more interactive, easier to do, smoother. We talk about frictionless technology. Mm. And the, the technology doesn't get in the way. So the idea of just how could you how could you change that user experience and talking using the technology to do that? And data is a good good part of this. So we know when we've got this e-learning platform, we had all this content and we stuck it in front of people and people went, that's brilliant. And then just felt a bit overwhelmed and didn't know where to start. Whereas actually, you make a benchmark, you make it interactive, you show them what the next steps are, there's a guided journey to go through. That was more of an experience. Suddenly, it made all the world's difference of people adopting the content. So just thinking about how you can be a bit more experiential becomes important. 
Okay, so that pretty much rounds up the um, trends update we have for you at the moment. As always, uh, if you'd like to get in touch, if you've got any questions, uh, please do. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Digital Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Target Internet. If you'd like to get more information on the show, get hold of back issues of this podcast, or get details on any of the links we've mentioned, please visit our website at www.targetinternet.com. If you've enjoyed the show, we would love to read your feedback. Please rate us in iTunes, or even better, write us a review. Or if you have any questions, please get in touch. We'd love to help.